Bobby. Fossy if you're Fanny. Out there, Fossy, Fossy Fanny. Fanny facts. <laughs> Fossy, Fossy Fanny, 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 Fanny fact time Fanny. review. <laughs> Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew has attracted criticism for its themes and gender politics, even from its release. Kiss Me Kate plays on many of the same tropes, with Cole Porter's witty and often body songs giving even the bard a run for his money. Does Kiss Me Kate brush up Shakespeare? Or is it just another show of its time? Let's discuss. This is From Stage to Screen and Everything in Between, a musical-adjacent podcast. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. I'm Quinn. And I'm Elizabeth. Does it brush up Shakespeare? Um, Taming of the Shrew especially in in the light of recent years. Um, But for a while now, going back to, I I think I read quotes from George Bernard Shaw being like, this show is disgusting and debasing of both genders. You know, like Taming of the Shrew is a controversial Shakespeare show to begin with. So to base a musical farce on that is an interesting concept. I mean, to be frank, I think it's a very tight and a good idea for a show. Uh, the plot is a cool idea. Um, yeah, I don't know if it changed any of what people would say is problematic. Like as far as this show, would you? I mean, I I got a couple hot takes about give, ready to deliver that pop off right now, sis. <laughs> okay, get ready for some tea, as the kids say. Um, once again, Still. full disclosure: I have at my university read and examined this both of these shows to death so i have prior knowledge and a lot of my interpretations of this show are all based in theater of the mind right it's all my imagination and what i'm excited about the show full disclosure i'll say that now there's a little bit of a bias however um there was when we were assigned to do a costume design for taming of the shrew the first thing we were assigned to watch was a documentary i think it was produced by pbs from morgan freeman And he was interviewed and he talked about all of his characterization for the character Petruchio, who is obviously one of the cruelest of the Shakespeare characters. Like he beats his wife. He doesn't feed her. He tears her clothes up. You know what I mean? Like it's like he abuses her literally on stage. And his, his whole approach to that was one of like a veteran, right? Somebody who has seen battle. He's fought, you know, in the Crusades or whatever was the military conflict at the time. And then he goes back to, he, he, he's done it, he's seen it all, he's seen the world, he's ready to settle down with a wife. You know what I mean? And that sort of characterization, and if, if those listening at home, I encourage you to find it and watch it. It's probably, just search for Morgan Freeman Taming of the Shrew online somewhere. It was free to watch. Um, and that really changed my perspective. I think in, I think I'm of the thought that Taming of the Shrew is more subversive than it is controversial. I think Shakespeare played into the expectations of what people would be watching, and especially in the final monologue, he talks about the strength of what a woman can be, and and it sort of is a satirization. That's my personal hot take. There's going to be more. That is a common assessment of the show. Yeah. Some people do think that it might be trying to be a commentary on what was common at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. That said... It was already illegal in a lot of Europe to beat your wife back then, you know. Yeah. Um, but which is why he takes the psychological approach. Yeesh. <laughs> you know, I yeah, mean, knowing the realistic impact of that, it's it's very raw to actually think about. Yeah. You know, I, 
I've seen it played both ways too. I've seen it played where some people really make it appear that Catherine is happy at the end submitting to Petruchio and then some people play it very tragically where you can just tell that like she's broken inside. Oh jeez. Um, I think either way, I don't really like it. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> It's not my fave. <laughs> there's yeah. definitely I can see why it's controversial. I can see it. I I, it's not just that I can see it is controversial. You know, you yes. have to, no matter how you spin it, there's problematic elements to it. I think it would, I, I, I think it might be the most controversial Shakespeare show. I don't doubt that at all. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably it's true. It's the most debated for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, I guess you could, you could argue that maybe, uh, Catherine could be a bit of like, oh, she's a spoiled brat and she needs to like learn to be more appreciative, but not really in the methods that he uses. I mean, it's just like I get it because it's kind of like she's difficult anyway. And so as an audience, you're supposed to kind of be like, oh, she's going to learn to be a lady. But even saying that's not quite... Right. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny that you mentioned George Bernard Shaw because he also wrote Pygmalion. Yes, oh. which is which is now he was at the time was considered to be very subversive, but now people don't do Pygmalion because they think it's old world. Exactly. It's so funny yeah. that it's like that has gone the way. And also My Fair Lady is based on Pygmalion, so Right. Yeah. Because it's this whole thing of like, well, what does it mean to be like a proper lady? And isn't that ridiculous that there's a particular like standard that those women have to like fit into otherwise they are a shrew or terrible or just a floozy or you know right exactly the we'll talk a little bit about it but it's i think it's relevant so i'm going to bring it up the 2019 revival of kiss me kate Mm -hmm. touches on some of that i mean just to talk about the show itself i think there's an element of what you said elizabeth where um, you know, there is there is an aspect of Lily Vanessi in Kiss Me Kate where she is sort of a spoiled, you know, she's famous and she, you know, thinks mm-hmm. a lot of herself um, and she thinks she's better than the theater um, at this point, you know. So there is an element where you could say that, but at the same time, doesn't mean that she needs to be, you know, like subdued, you know, like right. she. So and then I think the revival uh, tried to do a take on that. They changed some things and some small aspects, um, which we'll talk about. So I think that th- that is a valid point that, you know, I think you're supposed to think of her as just an annoying person, you know, um, a sh- but yeah, th- th- I just don't think there's any way to spin it where you're not like, ah, this is uncomfortable. He's, you know, most people play the scene where he's really aggressive to her. And a lot of this stuff, to bring it to the show, a lot of this shows up in the show, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, the the show is, they're doing, it's kind of like they're doing Taming of the Shoe twice. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. there's the show within the show as well as the actual musical. Right. Mm-hmm. And by the way, how familiar are you guys with this show? Because I went into it completely cold. Never heard any of the songs. Not familiar really? with the story. I had zero clue. Not even too darn hot. Not even too darn hot. Too darn long, as you, too, as yes. you put it earlier. <laughs> too darn long. It's too darn. It is That's too darn long. Because <laughs> Cole Porter, who wrote the music for this, um, is known as a hit maker. Um, he 
He wrote Night and Day. Uh, I get a kick out of you. I get a kick out of you. No? Maybe. Um, to be fair, out of this group, I am also like the least theatrical. So I'm okay. going to just give myself a pass on this one. Um, no, of course. I mean, but no, those are, those are not Broadway standards necessarily. They're, uh, they're uh, popular standards. Yeah. I've Got You Under My Skin. You know that song? Yes. I do. I do. I know that song. That's a Cole Porter song. Hey. You're the tops. You're no. the top. Oh, okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Does Elizabeth Know This Song show. <laughs> All that to say, Cole Porter is fairly well known as a songwriter, not even just as a Broadway songwriter. Um, Actually, the 1949 original cast recording was inducted into the Library of Congress's wow. National Recording Registry because huh. it's not just music that is for theater people. It it was music that was known outside of the theater community so by the his, general American public. Okay, A lot of his songs were recorded by other artists. The album is also in the Grammy Hall of Fame, the original Kiss Me Kid album. Wow. That is fascinating because, mm -hmm. and that comes from a different world, right? Oh, yeah. Where every day, I mean, we are inundated in the modern world with songs. On Spotify, you can find thousands of songs coming out every single day. But back in, you know, 1940s America, you went to the music store and you got maybe like one or two releases that were shipped right. out that month. Mm -hmm. So it was far easier to become like a zeitgeist artist at the time. And it was it was more common for songs to cross over from Broadway to popular music back then too, sure. because the it was some of the same songwriters, anyways. So actually, yeah. I don't have any excuse, and I should know some of these songs. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to beat you up at yeah, all. Come on, but you do know some of Cole Porter's songs. I do, so. I do. Uh, he's not really known. Like he started as a Broadway writer, but he's not really known for his shows. Like the only. Other popular show he really has is Anything Goes. He wrote some other shows, but I the don't rest know the have personally. sort of stayed in that time period. They haven't really yeah, gone to the definitely. modern day. Got it. He crossed over into film. There's a lot of actually, we could dig in really deep. I've because this show is so and this movie are so rooted in like classic entertainment industry of the golden age. Like, yeah. there's so many connections. Everybody's connected to everybody else. It's very interesting, but I'm not going to really delve into that. Um, sure. Mads, where did this show come from? Uh, who, who wrote it? When did it premiere? All right. So music and lyrics, as we mentioned, are by Cole Porter. And the book was actually written by a real-life couple uh, named Bella and Samuel Spewick. Hmm. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, it opened on December 30th, 1948 at the New Century Theater, and then partway through its run, transferred to the Schubert Theater. The New Century no longer exists, I believe. Yes. Wow. Interesting. That's, that shows how old it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it actually ran for a total of 1,077 performances and is the only Cole Porter show to run for more than 1,000 performances on Broadway. Hmm. Like we said, I don't know a lot of his other shows, so I can't really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that goes, it's the one we've heard of, so. Exactly. <laughs> so there we go. That tells you something. <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely the most, probably the most commercially successful Porter show there, hmm. there is. Um, the original uh, show won the Tonys for Best Musical, Best Author of a Musical, which I think now, is is it true or am I wrong? That's now 
best, best book of a musical, yeah. not best author of a musical. Yeah, I believe so. That's not a category. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was I was like, I'm pretty sure that translates closer to best book, but that back in the day, that's what it was, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh Best original score, best costume design, and best producer of a musical. So it took home some pretty big awards that year. Well, um, when you say back in the day, though, how back in the day is this show? Way back in the day. Some this of the first Tonys to ever The first be. best musical Tony. Yeah. Just crazy. The it was the Antoinette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't. That's something I learned today, too. I didn't know that uh, Tony is short for Antoinette. Wait, oh, what? The more you yeah. know, folks. W- Wikipedia. Wait, wait, yeah, wait, thanks, wait, 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 what? The Tony why? is short for Antoinette. But she was Shut the first up. president of the American Theater Wing. Yeah, her oh. name is Antoinette. I can't remember her last name. How did I not know that? Fun fact. The yeah. full name, I have it right here. The full name of the award is the Antoinette Perry Award yeah, Perry. for Excellence there in Broadway Theater, which was, and it was named after the... First founder and president of American Theater Wing. It was started before the Broadway League even started. So oh, it wow. was okay. back when it was just American theater, you know? Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Wow. Wow. There we go. I guess Tony's sounds better than the Antoinettes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you won? How many Antoinette Perry Awards have you won? <laughs> I AP mean, Awards? I guess that was a thing. That's when we got the Oscars from in a similar way because they're not actually called the Oscars. So yeah. Oh you know. my gosh! Mm-hmm. Wait, the more you what know. Are those called? What are those called? They're called Academy Awards, but the yeah. Oscar is a nickname for somebody else. For who? Sorry, not All right. relevant. We have, <laughs> we're, we're, moving oh we're moving away. Hold on, the I'm Wikipedia you know, searching. <laughs> what All the right. heck? All right, never mind. Go on. Okay. So, uh, funnily enough. Um, future Broadway producer Arnold St. Suber, 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 I don't know. Suber. One of those. Yeah, St. Suber. <laughs> okay, so future Broadway producer Arnold St. Suber actually saw a real-life husband and wife in a 1935 production of Taming of the Shrew. Uh, it was Alfred Lent and uh, Lynn Fontaine. And they had a lot of marital problems in their real life, and so... Apparently, that production was really good, and it inspired him to ask the Spewicks, who also had known marital problems, to write the <laughs> script for basing a musical off of Taming of the Shrew. Right from experience. That is great background. Yeah, so it's literally directly from experience. A couple with marital problems hmm. portraying the couple in Taming of the Shrew. Some things you just can't make up. No, you yeah, know, no. some things are just too universal. Real life is stranger than fiction, you know? Yeah, so I oh, thought that true. was crazy. I was like, what? Well, I so didn't that's, know that either. We're learning everywhere. We're learning all today. sorts of things today. Yeah, all the names, except for Oscar. That's for another time. <laughs> we'll talk about all Oscar <laughs> later. Um, so this show is done a lot, but it's not as... It's not done as much as a lot of other shows that we've talked about. Uh, it had it opened in 1948, as we said. Opened on the West End a few years later in 1951. There was the 1999 Broadway revival that won the Tony for Best Revival that year. Uh, 2001 West End revi- revival following up the Broadway revival. Then there was the 2012 West End revival and the 2019 Broadway revival. With Corbin Blue. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think you mean Corbin Blah. I don't dance. <laughs> I know you can't. Anyways, that's anyway, for all you high so school musical fans out there. There was the original Broadway oh. and West End productions, and then two different re- revivals in both places. Historically, it was uh, Porter's response to uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma and their mm. other integrated musicals. It was the first show that he wrote in which the music and lyrics were quote-unquote, firmly connected to the script. Because I think in today's day and age, that's still a little bit debatable. I was going to say, firm, <laughs> firmly the, connected, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like the the songs are tenuously connected to the plot. Yeah, but... If at all. Yeah. Historically, they're there. this was a step forward. <laughs> Definitely. And so for Cole Porter especially, this was one of his first integrated musicals. I think, I mean, you can tell it... <laughs> I because they're not bad, but yeah, it's there's some of the songs where you can and I did watching it like you can totally skip ahead and not really miss anything because because yep. <laughs> they don't actually drive the plot. They're relative. They're relatively related to the plot, but they're not actually driving the plot at yeah, all. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think they're more so opportunities for the performers to entertain as opposed to telling a direct plotline story. For sure, mm-hmm. and they come from they come from the old school culture of a scene and a song, and then a scene and then a song, where the songs don't really have anything to do, and you can tell that that's where he comes from, because mm-hmm. um, they're not bad songs. It's just that they don't really do anything. Just um, like Tarzan. <laughs> oh, no. oh. oh man, we'll talk about that someday. Phil Collins didn't have to get done that way. Uh, I'm sorry I brought it up, everyone. <laughs> I want to know. Uh, like the version, the, I will, the recording that I watched of the stage version is the 2001 redo of the the Broadway version in '99. So it's, it's mm-hmm. the West End version of the Broadway version. They're essentially the same. Like all the costumes are same, the sets are the same, um, and there's like, you could totally tell that like if you don't play it correctly, it could get boring real fast, mm-hmm. or you know you even can change the tone if you play it wrong. Absolutely, um, and I, we were. I think the choreography doesn't really carry the songs in the way that it should in that version, which I think is probably a danger if you're ever to do this show, you know, because the songs are so long. Yeah, and they are kind of repetitive, and so if you don't have a fun choreographed number to go along with it, I think you're going to lose interest because it's like, okay, I heard this verse already. Oh, wait, they're doing another (laughs) refrain? (laughs) I thought they left the stage. Oh, nope, they're back. Hello. (laughs) There's a lot of refrains. Yeah. I realized when we were talking about this show a little bit before we started recording a lot of what I love about this show is what I've fallen in love with through like dissecting it and imagining it. Before I recorded this, I have never seen a stage version. Oh, alive. Really? Uh, yeah. However, yeah. though, it's all of like what I had imagined and the certain ideas that I read because I've read the script over and over and over again and I listen to the songs to death. Um, and there's so many tonal items. And I think what you were, what I specifically think, Elizabeth, is like when you have the first reprise of a song. Have some interesting presentation of it and then do something different and then do something different. Like it's it's definitely a challenge in keeping that energy to keep mm-hmm. it entertaining. Um, but like Zach was mentioning as well, if you do carry that sort of farcical kinetic energy, in my opinion, it's a phenomenal piece. And it's very fresh mm-hmm. in that respect. And the lyrics are very smart. 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's super witty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wanted in this show, I wanted it to be more like a noises off where yeah. it's falling apart behind the scenes and you get to see it played out in front of you as part of the show. Like shows within a show, I usually find pretty hilarious. But Of course. Uh, at least the stage version that I saw, which is I think the same one that you guys all watched. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. it wasn't boring, but I just found myself kind of zoning out like, all right, I'm not missing anything here. And there's not even a lot of conflict, really. No, it doesn't. Nah. You have to really carry that farcical energy, as Quinn called it, or it doesn't mm-hmm. zip. Yeah. It really zaps, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it has to be directed really well. Yeah. I think it can be done well, and I think it is really funny. Like, I like I wasn't joking in my little intro when I said that, like, Cole Porter gives Shakespeare a run for his money. Oh, totally. Uh, like, he mm-hmm. hides some really witty, like, there's a lot of double entendres in this. Yes, um, and some of them are not very Some hidden. of them are not so, yeah, some of them aren't so subtle. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, I think that's so, inter- like, that's such a challenge to do, where you go directly from verbatim Shakespearean yeah. verse, right? Or whatever the 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 metered language to lyrics, mm. where you have to keep that that literature sort of interest Right, and, and he does so seamlessly. I feel they do. That's correct. That's the, I was wondering because I haven't read or seen Shrew in a while, and some mm-hmm. of this is directly like quoting Shakespeare, right? Most of it, most of it, I believe, except for the moments where, like the script of everything that's not a musical in the the world of the show moments yeah. of this musical are direct from the script. However, wow. like okay. when. Uh, Miss Vanessa doesn't come on in time and they have to vamp, that's obviously, yeah. they they rewrote parts of the book. Uh, that's a naughty word. <laughs> and kiss me, Kate. <laughs> that's a naughty word. Uh, it's, um, I think it's a really tight idea for a story, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, it's it really inspires imagination. Just think about it. like, And I think, even if the songs, if it wasn't a music, if it was just a straight play, I think the story could be super interesting. Yeah, on absolutely. its own, it could stand oh, alone. Of course, I did read uh, that Bella Spuick uh, should get most of the credit for it because her and her husband were pretty much estranged at this point, mm-hmm. but she was forced to share credit with him, uh, which I think is so ironic considering, considering the story. The show. <laughs> yeah. See, that's why background matters so much. I didn't know that at all. Yeah. And she she started working on it on her own with Cole Porter and then brought him on, brought her husband on. Because um, like Mads said, they were already estranged at that point. The <laughs> scenes are so funny. I mean, the dynamics yeah. are well crafted mm-hmm. because you have such the the funny relationships and the like i said the just the farcical conflicts where it's like oh no i gotta get the note oh no she found the note oh no i'm kissing her upstairs oh no you know like that those elements are well crafted to me you know Mm -hmm. and and so much of the dynamics of like there's the actors who are creating all of the drama but then there's also like the dresser whatever hattie and the stagehand and the stage manager who also have their own romantic subplots who are laughing and they're like why could you produce a show so stupidly i don't feel bad for you like that is just a simple pleasure to yeah. watch for me i think yeah. it's funny and i, I thoroughly think... enjoyed the book it's yeah. just i feel yeah. like there was a hiccup every time they jumped into a song where i was like 
<sighs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's just the age, I think, perhaps. Definitely. You know, yeah, definitely. that's true. It's definitely from a different time. Because um, mm-hmm. a lot of movies at this point were the same way, where they just sing a song. <laughs> and the librettos from 1999 and the original libretto are modified. Like, yes. um, mm-hmm. in the 1999 version of especially the opening number, uh, no, the opening, there's certain, like, reorchestrations and different cuts so that you don't cut that energy. In the original one, they're just like, okay, now that I've stopped talking, the band will begin. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. song. Yeah. But they sort of do a little bit, it's very subtle, and you have to listen carefully to find it, but there is different cutting and different, you know, lines interspersed. Yeah, but uh, it make it the a little more version. seamless. The 1999 version also makes, uh, what's his name? Harrison Howell into a general? I did not know yeah, that that was, was that? different. Which is, whereas in the original script, he's just sort of a southern guy. Oh, yeah, which yeah. I, which I think the movie is more based on. But yeah, um, but yeah, in, in the 1999 version, he's like this super strict general. And then they also add another Cole Porter song in for him to sing, which is in the movie from this moment on. Um, in in the yeah. version that we saw, isn't he like he's also a military guy and he's buddies with the president and maybe yeah, gonna be a running mate with Dewey and yeah. I'm like, all right. <laughs> I that's think an, that is funny. Yeah. That's an addition from nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. In so my opinion, I think that's good. a welcome addition because yeah. it makes more sense that you would be able to call J. Edgar Hoover if you're a World War II general. You know? Right. I suppose so, yeah. People were pretty connected back then as well if, if they were rich. True. Uh, that's true. But I guess, you know, we wouldn't I think it makes sense because we wouldn't get that now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a politically different world nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. back when you and I've been rewatching Mad Men and there's so many like, oh, you went to Dart- Dartmouth in 52. I went there with Rockefeller's son. Let's have lunch, you know, just like that right. sort of like you said, yeah. the old money. I'll put a meeting together and we'll talk about it. Networking. <laughs> it's where it's at. <laughs> the. 2019 revival like i talked about earlier made some tweaks they brought in somebody named amanda green and uh they didn't change a ton but they just made some book changes and some lyric changes of even just single words to make the fight between Catherine, or rather uh, lily and fred to make it more fair so Mm -hmm. it's not so much just fred beating up lily for being difficult it's Lily also gets to beat up Fred besides the two slaps that she gets in in the one scene. Um, and so it becomes, it balances the fight between them. So it's a little bit more And that's funnier. Yeah, I yeah. think so. funnier to me. She yeah. like, apparently, I was reading the New York Times review because I couldn't find a version of it to watch. Apparently she just like rails on him in their scene where he's like trying to restrain her and get her to marry him. She just like kicks the crap out of him as well. And it kind of takes some of the helplessness out of it. Oh, good. That's one of the most hilarious things. <laughs> the biggest change that they made is they changed. Uh, I am ashamed that women are so. Um, what's it? I'm ashamed that women are so simple. They changed it to I'm ashamed that people are so simple, and they made it more neutral. Of you know why do pe- people should learn to be submissive in a relationship with each other as opposed to women specifically should be submissive. And so it's not like some of the shows where we talked about where like if you do it this certain way, like it's going to be 
no, it's going to be real offensive. But I think it's still nice to make tweaks to it. I think it makes it a little bit more responsible. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's a good show overall. Like, they don't take out any of the innuendos and weirdness, which are sometimes like, oof. <laughs> like, yeah. they just... They just talked about giving it to a, giving it to your lady, you know, like yeah, um, straight up. <laughs> um, so they don't take out all of that, but I think it. I think that's credit to the book that it's still a show that you can do in modern times, but without having to update. But it's more. It's I think it's more socially and emotionally conscious to update it. Oddly, for though, sure. I think it's strange that it like took fifty years for there to be, or like forty something years for there to be a revival. Like from from the fifties to when did it open, Mads? It opened in forty eight. Yeah, from forty eight to wow. ninety nine. That's a long time. That is Broadway a long time. Broadway had changed so much yeah. in time. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. I don't know what what motivated that, but I I love the ninety nine version. I or at least the libretto. And yeah. It's, obviously, I'm biased. It's the version that I've read and read and read. So that's the reason I like it. I had like Brian it. Stokes Mitchell and Mary Mazzy. Yes, and they're fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian Stokes Mitchell is one of my voice crushes. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> he's one of the all-time greats. I mean, he he's such me a anything, great yeah. singer, you can yeah. cry. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's so a good great. actor. I think of course. that was missing from the version that I watched. I felt like Fred was an ass the whole time. I never uh, thought that he could be yes. a love interest. Although, you know, his watched. voice was great. His voice I was great. I loved his voice, but oh my God, yeah, he was kind of a just a dick the whole time. It did never <laughs> feel like he could be, like, sentimental, yeah. Yeah. So much of the character of Fred, for me, is just ridiculous. Like, this guy yeah. who is trying to rub three nickels together to get this show produced <laughs> in, in downtown Baltimore, this little obscure... You know, ha- just tries with all of his dumb luck to try and get something to work. That characterization to me is so amusing. You know, and he yeah. looks, and especially in the in the early like Act One, where he's like, "I am the greatest. This show will be great." And he's giving notes, and he's like, "You know, we talked about your energy in this number." And it's like, "Come, like, he's guy, just, are like, you really in a so position to cut like?" Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which, That's which I think is why it works to take him down a peg too. You know, they both need totally. it. Totally. Right. They're both. Oh shrews. yes. Yeah. Who's the real shrew? Hey Quinn. Oh. Oh. Can I talk a little bit about the uh, the design of the original? Zachariah, it would be a pleasure. Thank you. I will do that right now. Uh, so the original Broadway performance was designed uh, in a very traditional way. So the scenic and costume designs were both designed by a gentleman named Lemuel Ayers, who designed other very notable productions in the 50s and 40s, such as, but not limited to, uh, The Pajama Game and Oklahoma. So Mm. other, you know, super big hitter shows. Uh, Oklahoma, as well, starred Alfred Drake uh, in the lead. Um, So that's kind of an interesting little connection. I I wonder if they ever knew each other in the costume fittings. Uh, as well, I don't know. A little something fun, interesting to think about. I it's lighting designed by a person who I'd never heard of, and I am on IMD, IBDB, and I saw that it was uh, lighting designed by Al Alloy, and I thought that's not a very recognizable name to me. However, under a lot of these credits, uh, he is either chief electrician, master electrician, or production electrician. Um, so this must be from the old world of Broadway lighting design, 
where you had the scenographer who designed the costumes and lighting. And then you, this, whoever designed the costumes and set, just sort of, I, I probably misspoke, the costumes and scenic, and then just talked to lighting designer and said, hey, listen, can you turn on some lights? When really they're just a glorified electrician. I mean, that's just a, a difference <laughs> yeah. of, of how it is nowadays. I mean, now it's an established discipline um, and it's, it's back then it was just sort of, it wasn't really an art yet. You didn't have people like Stanley mm. McCandless and Gene Rosenthal who brought a professionality to it and owned right. it. Mm. Um, back then it was just sort of get the guy to turn on lights turn and on all lights. right, he's gone. It's just a glorified Iatsi yeah. member. I, still, you know? I guess that's true. This is probably the oldest show we've talked about yet. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So that yeah, would make sense. I would have thought it was like the King and I, but nope. No, this is before that. Yeah. The costumes are kind of iconic for this show. Yes. Like, yes. There's a specific image. Whether I mean the design doesn't necessarily have to be the same, but that really bright, colorful, you know, look mm-hmm. is kind of synonymous with this show. Um, every version I've ever seen, they really play off that. You know, you're not really going for realistic period costumes. They're going for like really bright and like musical esque. I think I don't. Yes. I can't really speak to. What even what time period they're trying to evoke? They've got a lot of cod pieces. It's so fascinating because the movie and the version that we watched, which is the London version, um, all have different. Like the the movie is very like Venetian, and it's actually yeah. trying to be a realistic, not a realistic, but their version of a translation of medieval Venetian costume, mm-hmm. whereupon the uh, the stage version and the night and the 2019 version that i looked up are all trying to be musical-esque colorful versions of elizabethan costumes which is more uh renaissance like in the days of actual william shakespeare which i guess yeah that's where the taming of the shrew would take place i suppose Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's it's really a choice of what do you want to play upon but like you said when i was designing this show my instructor simply said Make it more dancey, make it more colorful, make it more musical theater. And I like with that, right. you know, I like that sort of challenge. It's, I don't know, it's hard to describe unless you've seen it. Like, there's like, there's just a feel even to the costumes. They have a texture about them as well as the certain color. Like, it's not just that they're colorful. There's like a palette that you kind of, mm-hmm. people kind of stick to when they design. It's sort of got a little bit of a pastelier vibe to some of like the pinks and the the yeah. purples you know i don't know it's very specific i like it's it. really like and i think it's sort of to illustrate like the tackiness of like ah uh, that's true yeah it's like these people have to have something that they can slip on and sl- that's another practical thing is when fred comes off stage to have his dressing room scenes he rips off his his pants and his, his jacket you know yeah. like it's it has to be something that is danceable that you can slip a 1940s suit underneath, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a very like you said iconic design. And I guess that's another challenge of this show is that you also have to you know, yeah. So I have to present the 40s as well. Oh yeah, totally. But it's also like, do you want to present the real 40s or do you want to present right. the cartoony, right. zanier version of the 40s? And yeah. I've seen both. I think mm-hmm. I think the movie, for instance, is closer to reality, and then like yes. stage versions tend to be closer to the zanier, more musical theater esque. Definitely, where the gangsters yeah. are all wearing pinstripes, fun. you know. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think it's easier to get away with on the stage because we've talked about this before, but it's easier for an audience to accept ridiculousness on a stage right. than when they come and see a movie. For sure. Yes, for sure. That might yeah. be a, a, just a, a, a mode of translation. You know? Also, if mm-hmm. the costumes aren't tacky, then, you know, the gangsters aren't going to look so funny when they come on. In the, oh, they are the funniest ever. <laughs> it's, yeah. such a, it's a good bit. Yeah. Do, go ahead. I was just going to say, when I was watching the stage version, I was kind of like, man, I'm sort of falling out of the story. And then the gangsters came on, and like every time they'd get like tapped on or hit, and they pulled out the gun like, hey, hey, hey. hey. Like, <laughs> I, I did actually laugh, and I was like, oh, good, it is funny. This show yeah. will be funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something hilarious that i discussed when i designed costumes for this and i was like what if one of the goons was like danny devito and one was like uh. tanning chatham or Ch- what is it channing tatum i said it back i'm <laughs> stupid uh, channing tatum or tanning tanning chatham what i said chatham, i said something guy. Uh, well. you caught me you caught me making a whoops <laughs> i did a whoops but anywho that would be so one- funny what were you saying, Zach? That would be funny. A tall, like a, like a, like a twin situation. Yeah, I was going to say like, like a Danny like... DeVito and Arnold. <laughs> or like yeah. Fozzie Bear and Kermit the Frog. Yeah. You're welcome. Great reference. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Flawless. <laughs> I think my one critique of the show is that it resolves real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Like no, no. all of a sudden it just turns around. We're like, oh, everything's good. Then she's yeah. like, I'm ready now. Take me now. Yeah. Oh, you don't owe money what? anymore, and she's back. So yeah. cool. She didn't even leave for that long. <laughs> yeah. And it like, was the forties. They didn't want to stress out about <laughs> conflict. They wanted know. to see something funny. I really Sorry. wanted a little bit more development of like the the hijinks. I think there could be a little bit. It is a farce, but I don't think they don't get too much into physical comedy, which I think would be a oh, good direction so for this to good. go. Yeah. yeah this yes. Is, I mean, I guess there are some versions that you could do that. It depends on how you play some of the scenes within the play. I agree. And I, I agree with Elizabeth where it's like, I wish they just made it. Because you can do mm-hmm. it to a T. Yeah. Of just like, oh, I have a second to jump on stage. Hold on one second. Does the scene on stage. Comes off and fights him and then goes, you know, little moments like yeah. that. Those would be yeah. hilarious. They spend a lot of time on stage and not so much of a backstage. It would be cool if it flipped a little more often, sort of in a noises off sort of way, like you said. Right, because a lot mm-hmm. of people are somewhat familiar with Taming of the Shrew. It's like, I don't actually need to see this See play. Taming of the Shrew, yeah. Right, <laughs> I don't want to see Taming of the Shrew. I want to see all the things you're getting wrong in Taming of the Shrew and like because yeah. of what's happening behind the scenes. That's what I wanted. Yeah, Yeah, they should True. go backstage after she reads his note and she should throw something at him. Like, it, should ha- it could have a little bit more of that. Yeah. I mean, she does end up throwing some stuff at him. Guys, let's readapt it. Let's rework this. Let's do it. Reworking it. We're going to call it uh, Smooch Me, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Smooch Me, Catherine. (laughs) (laughs) Smooch Me, Catherine. Uh, Anyways, on that note, let's move on to the film. Didn't they make a movie out of this? (laughs) (laughs) Strange, I know. Lay it on me. Caitlin, I don't know. Lay, All right. Lay it on right. Caitlin. <laughs> An attempt was made. Yeah. Well, well uh, all right. So 
I, like I said, went into this totally cold. So when I looked up the movie, the first image I see is the cover, and it's just this dude spanking a girl. And I was like, oh. what am I going <laughs> to watch? Cover? That's oh, the cover? No. About to watch. Yeah, Wait, that's it has really the, the whip cover? on it. Dude, oh. look up the cover. Just look up Kiss Me Kate the movie, and it's just him. Okay, let me see. It's just him spanking her. And I was like, what am I about to watch here? What are you showing me? What are you guys getting me Oh, into? my goodness. You're right. Oh, oh, there's a spanking. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and then we just got Ann Miller mostly naked underneath. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they I knew what like, they were selling. Right? It's yeah. like, not only is it that, but it's in the style of those old school pinups from that era. Like, right. it's the same art style. Right. I was like, what the frick are these people having I mean, me I guess they knew what they were selling. They were selling something. Yeah. And that she's just looking at the camera awkwardly. And like, I, oh, no, my butt. Yeah. I can't sit on the donkey now. Wow, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, so that was oh the God. image I had first going into this, and I was like, like, all right. What okay. the hell is this? <laughs> uh, so the movie was released in 1953 by MGM. It was directed by George Sidney, and it stars Catherine Grayson, Howard Keel, and Ann Miller. And uh, let me see here. I actually, I have a fun fact, but I'm saving that to the end because it's my favorite fact. The film grossed uh, about $3 million, but they still lost about 600000 So it oh, was no. not super great, but it was really well received for the most part. Positive reviews. Everybody seemed to like it, but they lost a decent amount of money. About five million. I, I just look it's five million in today's money they lost. Yeah. That's hey. a lot of greenbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of spanking, uh at the the scene when that's happening, uh Catherine Grayson and her costumer decided to play a joke on Howard Keel and the costume designer actually hid a plank of wood in her dress. <laughs> <laughs> So when he went to hit it, it was just wood. You louse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then another thing I had, let me look up their names real quick because I have it saved. Um, The two guys that play the gangsters. Lippy and Slug. Yes. Kenwin and John Whitmore. Yes. Great names. Um. Keenan is, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, oh, okay, I was going to say, they had never done a musical before at all, and whenever they were rehearsing, they thought it was kind of silly, and they struggled a lot with the choreography, and so when they went to actually shoot it, they fumbled through it, but the director was like, wow, great choice, you guys, since you're supposed to be gangsters who are not familiar with how to dance, great <laughs> like, decision ha-ha. on your characters. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. I tried so hard. Yeah, yeah. that's Thanks. funny. Thanks. And so they just went with it and didn't tell him at all. But I guess it's on a DVD commentary where they're like, they found out, like they mentioned it. Like, oh, yeah, we just uh, said it was fine. Yeah, there's like the there's a couple of bits where he's just like, all right, do the thing. And they're like, uh, OK. And then like they like <laughs> they shuffle around a little bit. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, they were just like, oh, great character decision since you guys don't actually know how to dance. Brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? That's funny. That um, is super funny. <laughs> I love them in this. They're me both too. Yeah, they're great. great. They are really good. Um, I found them enjoyable both in the movie and in the uh, stage show. Yeah. 
I love the way because uh, Keen, so Keenan Win is the blonde one, the it Lippy, the the younger one who's a little bit more aggressive, um, in the brown suit. Oh yeah, he is Edwin's son, and Edwin is the Mad Hatter and uh, oh. the uncle in Mary Poppins who loves to laugh. Um, that's his dad. So I think it's funny oh that gosh. he's like, man, this is silly. I was like, your dad is the freaking Mad Hatter. <laughs> like, yeah. I think you'd be okay. Wow. Anyways. I had I no clue. That. That's fun. Mm-hmm. In that same alleyway where they're doing their um, brush up on your Shakespeare, um, when, what is it, Bianca? No, Blanche. Blanche? Lois. No, when, no, the blonde lady. L- Lily Vanessa. Lily. No, not Lily. Lois. 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 That's Lane. her name? Her name's yeah. Lois Lane. Yeah. Her name's Lois Lane. It what is. Where did Blanche from? I don't know. Stella! <laughs> Stella! I could have been a contender! Cool. Well, Lois Lane, not Superman's girlfriend. Uh. <laughs> also not Blanche Dubois. Oh, because the other one's Lily. Okay, well, Lillian. All right, so Lois. That woman. And her guy, when they're singing uh, Always Bill. True to You in My Fashion... There's like randomly a sailor that's in that scene. Wait, yeah, that what the heck? Yeah. yeah, I was I was like, what is this dude here for? Uh, that is actually choreographer Hermes Pan who is making a cameo. Oh, cool! I love so his name. Why? That's cool. why? I don't that was know. Dumb. I don't know because I was it's like, another... what is this sailor doing here? <laughs> he she she flirts with him. It's yeah. like. A... I think it's it was, during the. I think in that verse they talk about like the navy or something too, don't they? Yeah, I think oh, it was I'm the way it was framed. By through the alley, don't mind me. Oh, <laughs> you're trying to flirt with me. It was just the way it was framed initially because he's just in the foreground and he's That's not true. really moving at first, and you're like, "What's happening?" Then it makes sense. But yeah, it's just him making fun cameo. But speaking about the framing i thought it was kind of weird for a couple parts i was like man this camera is really locked off it seems like they don't really want to move it very much um when the movie premiered it was in four different locations and two of them were in 3d <gasps> wait because what? Really? Yeah. yes just so, like spy kids <laughs> just like spy kids quinn thank you quinn <laughs> Um, this maybe is the only movie musical that's filmed entirely in 3D because even what though about Shark Boy and Lava Girl, that's, that's not, not a, musical. a musical, Quinn. When was the last time you watched that? Watch it again. There are musicals. I actually never you, watched it because uh, yeah, that's that's also sir, my answer. You're right. Okay, <laughs> amend what oh. you said. You're wrong. <laughs> um, dream, 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 dream. <laughs> I know what you're saying. I, 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 oh, okay. I think we're I think we're too old, Zach. Yeah, we're too old for that. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, you know, uh, 3D. You think of much more modern, but there was actually a period in the 50s to try and get people back into theaters Mm -hmm. because TV came around and it was hard to get people to come back to the movies. So they started doing 3D and there was a golden era of 3D. And so Kiss Me Kate was filmed entirely in 3D, which makes so much more sense for that like super random ending shot of them flying forward on the screen. I was like, so much more sense. I thought about it. Or when he's on the couch. Catwalk? Yeah, Remember oh my god, all of a sudden like, he yeah. just floats Dude, back that to catwalk on stage. makes zero sense. Zero like, sense. None. 
for people in the audience, they can't see crap. Like, <laughs> they're We're just getting looking. ahead of ourselves, but yeah. We are getting ahead of ourselves, but yeah. So all the weird shots that look bizarro, 3D. I noticed so it in um, Why Can't You Behave. There's a there's a moment where he like kick, he swings on like a chain or something and come, his feet come like into the camera and like even outside of the frame a little bit. And I was like, what is this, a 3D movie? And apparently it is. It is. <laughs> yes, what it's a 3D heck? movie. That's funny. And now, so was now it that floatiness is... What? Was it back in the day when you had to have like the red glass and the, the blue glass, you think? I think it's polarized. I read, I did read that people who love because 3d was usually in b movies but there's a couple examples of like mainstream hollywood movies like spy kids (laughs) yeah like right now that's a b movie yeah all of a sudden they brought 3d back and it was super gimmicky it was yeah and then it shifted i mean we're now we're talking about the history of 3d it shifted (laughs) in like the later 2000s 2010s it shifted to just an a way to plus the look of a film yeah. Uh, it became yeah. less gimmicky. Yeah. Fans of 3D cite Kiss Me Kate as the best example of Hollywood 3D. But so, just imagine if it was the red and the blue gel. The reason oh, I that'd be about the worst. that is like, just imagine trying to look at the costumes and the set and the <laughs> yeah. color choices oh, they gosh. made yeah. through a gels. And it's just like, what? My no, no, brain would, be would hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Those colors are already really like jarring for my brain because I'm like, what's happening with this set? What's... <laughs> It's, yeah. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's funny because they show us the back wall of the theater in the rehearsal scene. They're like, yeah. they show you how deep that stage is. And then when they transition into the quote unquote actual performance, you're like, like is this is what is this an airplane hanger like where did they build this set yeah i do not understand it's so yeah. deep. It's like in those in, in those english theaters where they have like the scene that like scrolls by I, yeah. I, you guys can't see but like the entire thing's on a wagon and it like yeah and, and that's how they could have across. saved their five million dollars i know right yeah really <laughs> i mean it's supposed to be like a, if it's supposed to be like this rinky dink put together in my opinion this is like a weird mix of the two where i can't decide what they were trying to do like it looks both elaborate but then you look at some of the paint jobs and you're like who did this oh this is supposed (laughs) to look like a theatrical set piece because it's painted clearly um i think i read it's based on a specific italian artist yes it's it's supposed to be the surrealist tradition of painting okay Uh, which is why why it's not surrealist at all i mean it's a creative choice i just don't understand how that tells the story it's got some cool perspective stuff to it you know there's some like you know like point of uh oh gosh what's it called where like the vanishing point vanishing Vanishing point point. perspective it's got some interesting like vanishing point like illusions and stuff like that but then Mm -hmm. also like they turn corners and the camera follows them and you're like, the audience cannot, cannot see, see this wall. Why is yeah. this wall fully painted Dude, and like when set decorated? you are decorated? now in the wing. The two <laughs> biggest you? times I was like, what is happening is when he goes out onto that catwalk where I'm like, where yeah. the F did this come from? Right. And, and he's just like stares in one castle. direction the entire time and you can yeah. see the audience members behind him going, oh my gosh. And they're just yeah. looking at the back of his head for like yes. 10 minutes. That song is long as heck. <laughs> it really was. Like, it was what? so long. And then he retracts. I don't know. The catwalk retracts. He just yeah. He floats back, back floats onto back. the stage, and he there's no catwalk. Back. And then the the other time, where <laughs> <laughs> that was it. for those of you at home, Quinn just zoo. vanished in the distance. 
Angels in America. You know, you know what I'm talking about, where the angel comes through. It's one yeah. of those yeah. moments. <laughs> and uh, the other time oh. where I I don't really pay that much attention to staging in like when they're staging a show in a movie, but like at the end when she comes back, he's standing right in front of her. The audience can see his back, yeah, not her at all. And but it's yeah, we're like, just pointing come at them. on, guys. Yeah, I know sure, this is a movie. I mean, he really I takes it, a lot of but... moments. He takes a lot of moments to be shocked that she's there. It's like, oh my gosh, she came back. Yeah, and they're yeah. like whispering to each other in like full voice on stage, like the audience can't hear. This is your cue. That's your cue, Fred. <laughs> and and that's the one time they used like theatrical lighting when they were on stage was like spotlighting her and everybody it's else really is a little bad. dim. Otherwise it's yeah. just flat. It could have been because of filming it in 3D and cameras yeah. back then you need to light everything really that's well. True. I like if you watch carefully, I believe they used a scrim at the very beginning when they first begin the show within a show, the the Padua show, whatever, the Shakespearean scene. Yeah. And there's like a light that comes on on Baptista and there's a light that comes on whatever, uh, uh, I can't think of her name. Oh, uh, and it, like they're Lane's highlighting character. each character as he references for the first I time. I think that was done with a scrim. I could be wrong, but I would not be surprised. I don't know. It doesn't probably matter, also I, cuts because at some point, like there's a million people on stage that definitely weren't there. In the moment before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then also, when they travel on the donkey, is the other weird, like, how this set does it. Oh, he, yeah. When they travel to his house and they go to, like, a backstage place, but then they cut back to the audience's point of view, and that and set is suddenly the stage. entire stage. Yeah. And it's like, what kind uh, of... Huh. What kind of London National Theater automation do you have know, that right? can yeah, just appear that? that they walk into? Also, I felt a little bad for the donkey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's like getting slapped and crap. I mean, yeah. like, but also, like Lily's just like face down on the donkey, and he like grabs her by the hair and like points her face at the audience. Like, that's a yeah, that's that, a rough scene. Yeah. It's hard to watch. Okay, admittedly, how much funnier would it be if it was the goons in a donkey costume? I think that's so what the script calls for. The, I think that would be funnier, yeah. Where the, because in the scene before, it's the goons like holding her wagon train or whatever, her, her dress her trim. wedding train, yeah. Whatever yeah. they call it. Um, and uh, how funny it would be like, we need to find costumes for you. Uh, I think we got something in stock. They come out. Yeah. They're a donkey. <laughs> you know? Yeah, would have been know. hilarious. Also, if the Danny DeVito one is the donkey's butt, would even be funnier. <laughs> <laughs> The, that donkey has scoliosis. <laughs> donkey has and then she tries problems. to like lay on him and then she falls through. I mean, just imagine yeah. the gags. Come on, MGM. Really um, oh, man. To talk about this my wasn't... greatest critique oh. I have with the movie. And sorry if I'm cutting off anybody's train of thought. No, no, well, 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 there's room for all hot takes in this great podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think my hottest take is this movie for the sake of just trying to be a polished, shiny MGM musical, which is there is like an MGM style, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think definitely. it takes away so much of the theme. And the thing that's most agrarious to me is when they go out of the balcony and they're dancing in like a New York City skyline. Like that is not this story at all, in my when? opinion. In in this, What are you going to say, Zach? When? Like when they're in the alley? 
when, when no, when Bill Calhoun first comes back with oh, Lois they're up Lane on the rooftop. Oh right, yeah, and, and they're and, like, it, yeah. what kind of? So so much of what I think is funny is that this is like a low down rinky dink. Uh, version which makes it funnier and they can't do that they're in downtown baltimore that's where the show takes place it can't do that if you're in some glamorous broadway thing yeah like the dressing room design as well is so like find me a podunk theater that has a midway sliding door like that and so many small touches like that and like how the the dressers are not she's like a french maid she's supposed to be a dresser she's a professional right she's not like that, well, it's, to Lois it's not even or to Miss Vanessa, and then he and then uh, Fred has uh, like an Alfred Butler, an English but no, he's yeah. supposed to be like there's the doorman, the stage manager, and the dressers, and and a stagehand, and they have like a camaraderie, yeah. and that's why Too Darn Hot is so funny because it's a stagehand outside saying, "I can't deal with this. I'd rather be with my wife right now." You know, yeah. well, no, I'd rather that, be with my to pillow. me is lost. <laughs> I'd rather be with my pillow because it's too according hot. To According to the latest report, every blah, 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 Some of those lyrics, I was Kinsey like, report. who says this? Who says I want to sup with my lady and I want to, what did he say? I want to play the pup? What does that with even mean? With my baby. <laughs> with, yeah. Oh, you know what it means. There's lots of, it's, I think it's just beyond us. It's a lots of double entendres that are beyond us. Oh, you're going to go sup tonight. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they're going to, they're going to eat something is, I think. They're going to have some food and then play... No, no. Elizabeth, they're oh, not going to have food. I mean, unless that's part of their, you know, personal preferences. I see. I get but it. But also, yeah. uh, they don't mention the Kinsey Report because that is far in too... The, yeah, in the film, in the they film, change they the lyrics. don't, but yeah. that has to do a lot with Hayes Code, and I could talk, like, for 57 Ooh. minutes exactly yeah. about the Hayes Code. <laughs> Hayes Code it was a thing. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to speak about that because you're very uh, knowledgeable. Um, I, but that's yeah. sort of MGMization, and, yeah. and I think the set design suffers from it a lot too. Is like, why are you? They only do that just because it wants it to be an MGM movie. And I think a lot of the choreograph, I don't know, just sort of. I mean, it's very weird. much yeah. It's a um, George mm-hmm. Sidney was at one point part of the Arthur Freed unit, who was responsible for you know all of the greatest you know movie musicals of the MGM did. You know, Wizard of Oz, uh, Singing in the Rain, like all the way up into the 60s. So it makes sense that he would have some of those sensibilities as a director because he comes from that background. Mm -hmm. He also did Anchors Away. He directed Anchors Away. He directed Annie Get Your Gun. He directed Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, I love that show. Viva Las Vegas, Pal Joey. So, I mean, he definitely comes from the classic movie musical sensibility. I think Howard Keel was Frank Butler in Annie Get Your Gun. If you look in the opening scene of the movie... When they're at on the piano, sorry. Yeah, when they're at Fred's house, they have pictures of Annie Get Your Gun and Showboat, both starring Howard Keel, That's on the piano. So funny, yeah. Oh, but they, they play it off like they touch the Annie Get Your Gun one at one point, and they play it off like Fred played these characters. Yeah. We should maybe mention since we're talking about this, like, because that reminded me of some of the weird differences in this film versus yeah. the show. Like Cole Porter being a character. Yeah, well, I don't yeah, know. What, what That's odd. Earth was that? Why would you do that? Also, I don't. Why it's would not you not like have the opening number? Where was the opening number? I was like, I literally texted you guys when I was watching it. I said, "What the hell is this?" Why, I didn't see. Why? I was confused because I had watched both, but I had not thought about the differences. I was like, "Why is he so confused?" 
Yeah, <laughs> but I forgot know, I about like, that opening what's scene. What's going on? The I don't opening, like this at all. <laughs> I was okay with them switching it to like I get it, I guess, because they're not opening a show; it's opening a movie. I see why. It's a fun opening song, so it's unfortunate that they passed yeah. it. But it made sense that they put "Too Darn Hot" kind of at the beginning, because where else would you put it? Like you put it. They don't in establish. The... Yeah, but, yeah, but none of those characters exist character. in the movie. Yeah. Right, right. They Why? Have, Why like, not? A stage hand. Why don't I don't they? Know. I don't know because Ann Miller has to tap dance, Quinn. Right. Ann Miller has to tap dance That's as much exactly as possible. That's exactly what I was about <laughs> to And say. while she tap dances, that cello player has to play the cello really ridiculously. Where even did they come from? Somehow I I missed where they came from. They rang She the brought them with her from Just the all club. Those dudes. All right. And I'm not saying it has to be realistic. No. But it has to make more story sense than just like, oh, she needs a maid. Give her a maid. I think they're just trying to. It's because it's I think maybe that's why I had the opposite thought of you, Quinn, because the movie does play up that they're both like rich and well off, Fred and Lily. Um, yeah, we freaking yeah, they go have, into Fred's house, and it's, like, gorgeous. Yeah, He's got, like, mansion. the skylight. Yeah. They both have, you know, butler slash maid. You know, I guess, you know, they're friends with Cole Porter. So, I like, I think they're trying to play up that they are famous actors. Um, ironically, funny thing, another lyric change is in, in uh, the Venice song. They say not, what is it? It's not L.B. Mayer stars. They had to take that out because it's an MGM movie and they are actually L.B. Mayer stars. <laughs> yeah, gosh. <laughs> Fun fact. See that? I think that vocalizes a lot of my issues. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why it's, do you do this? I get that. It's yeah. definitely an MGM, MGM, MGMization <laughs> of the play. I yeah, that totally sure. makes sense. Sometimes yeah. it does it justice, and sometimes it doesn't. In this case, I don't think it did. It's like it an adaptation of an adaptation of an adaptation. It's yeah. like it's an MGM version of a musical about a musical about Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is the movie we watched. A lot and of levels. Brain explosion. A lot of levels. Yeah. I that said, I do love the excuse to have you know Fosse and Tommy Rowell and Ann Miller just tear it up multiple times for no reason. You know, like... Oh, the the dancing talent is great. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Ann Miller is a legend, you know. Sure. As a dancer. And then you've got not yet famous, but soon to be famous, Bob Fosse and Tommy Rowell, um, who is on his level as well. And uh, the Fosse butt, the Fosse fanny. <laughs> He's anyways, just got a little tuchus on him, you know? I yeah. just want to give him a little congratulatory little, little pat on the tushy. Yeah. You know? Just like, <laughs> hey, hey, Bobby, I know it's been hard. I know you're trying to make a gig of yourself, trying to break into the hell princes of the world. I wish I could just go back there, give him a little tap on the fanny, let him know I care about him, My you know? Goodness. Anybody else feel like that? Everybody but. head to our website and buy our hashtag Fossy Fanny t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> that don't fanny exist unless you guys want them. We yeah, should let make us know. fanny packs. Oh, Fossy Fanny <gasps> fanny packs. That's genius. Fossy Fanny. Yeah, that would be great. Anyways. Let's put a I apologize to the estate of Miss Gwen Verdon for all of the comments I've made today. <laughs> uh, but they add, I mean, they add a whole song. They add, like I said earlier, um, gosh, I can never remember the name. 
from this moment on, they add that into the movie just so they can have uh, another scene where Ann Miller and the boys dance. And mm-hmm. it's great. And that's the, one of the first times that you ever get to see on film uh, the Fosse style. Because, uh, you know, yeah. even though Hermes Pan is the choreographer, um, that little section that Fosse well, does Fosse, right? is very much his choreography, yeah. I could just imagine him now saying, Hey, hey Hermes. Uh, Hermes. Hey, Hermes, I know I went through these steps and uh, I just can't do it. Listen, I got it. I don't know. I want to run through the steps another way. Why? I'm sorry. Why is he Hispanic <laughs> slash Italian, whatever what you're doing? Happening? I don't know what I was going for. That's, That's kinda... not what Bob Fosse sounded like at all. I know. He's yeah, got, got a he's got a real squeaky little like dude's voice. He's like, no, he's he's sort I know a, a lot of musical theater directors I know are very breathy. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, hello, you know, where they're trying to uh, exhale their words. And he's really much one of those like, hello, uh, I just want to, I don't know, I just want to run through this. He hadn't reached there. that point yet, though, by this time. You know, he's still, he's still. Well, he still use. had 100% function of his heart because he yeah, wasn't right. doing whatever Dramadrin or whatever drugs he was. Listen, this is not the Fousey Flax <laughs> review time fanny show. Okay, we're, <laughs> we're talking about all that to say the dancing is fantastic. Uh, even if, also you know, hidden trampolines on the rooftop are great. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, oh I have my. Well, I don't know. It was great. What can I say? It was. Great. I love. I, I love argue. all those scenes. They're you know they're really fantastic displays of like that time period of dance artistry. You know. Sure. Yeah. Who am I to take away from it? And that does contribute energy. And I think that is yeah. what the show. And I means. think personally, I think at least from the versions that I've seen. I think the movie, unless you do it right, the movie holds up better than the show for me. I thought because they cut back some of the, I don't know, it just didn't feel as, he didn't feel as abusive in the movie as he does in the show. But which might be, like I said before, because the guy in the version we watched was such an asshole the way he played it. I don't know. Yeah. I thought I thought the love story played much better on film than it did in the version that I watched. Um, also, I, I think my, what were you saying, Zach? I said also the play between the two of them and the gangsters, I thought played really well in this, in the film. So much of as well that I don't, the show, I forget what it was. Uh, Wunderbar. Doesn't that happen? Or what's the first number that uh, Lily Vanessi sings when she goes into the apartment? Because that number is in the movie. That's out of place. Yes, yes. it is. And it's, um, in in the musical, I think they go... What were you saying? Vunda- Sorry. She sings that after Wunderbar in the play. Yes. Uh. And I think when, you, when they first go into the play, it's understood that they are not romantically inclined. Yeah. They are just two cold working professionals trying to rub three dimes together, whatever I said. Right. And when you have that number where it is in the original libretto, you know, numbers, I think that is a better, that's where they first unlock it. And they say, well, it hasn't Mm. been a while since we've been together. Maybe there's the prospect that we could be romantic. And then that's why the farcical element of like, oh, even though we shared this moment together, he brought me flowers. He must actually be excited about being romantic with me again. There's sort of an excitement that comes along with that. That's just sort of does she tanked not, over. I remember if she doesn't sing it at all. She sang, I know, I didn't notice. I didn't notice that it was moved. And I just assumed mm-hmm. that she sang it again in the dressing room. But you might be right. I don't know that she does. 
I hmm. think it's more of a it's not used as a plot device and right. that's one of the few moments that actually defines their relationship mm. with a bit more context that yeah. I think richens the experience a bit more. They jump into the take. romantic tension a little too quick at the beginning. Yeah. Sure. They it's do. just they sort put, of like they put it at the forefront, yeah. With the whole There's no development. There's no change with that. They're yeah. just sort of together. They and immediately like, no, compare her and Lois in that scene too, you know, by having her come in and being like the younger sister. Ugh, I'm offended, you know, and all that jazz. Yeah, um, I think that's cheap. I saw that as cheap. That's yeah. just my opinion, though. I understand. No, I it was still right. very entertaining. I th- yeah, I, I think I just felt less uncomfortable with some of the aspects of their relationship in the film, which is odd because it's still not great. But, oh no, and it's very for, aged. But for some reason, the 1999 version did felt worse. Um, I can, there is in the movie, they don't really do the scene where he beats her up. Um, he just kind of holds her in place while they're talking. Whereas in other, whereas in versions of Taming of the Shrew, as well as in the version of Kiss Me Kate that we watched, he beats the heck out of her. Like he's throwing around tables and like, you know, I think maybe that's, I think maybe that was missing. So I think you're right. They're really, that's, that's the hardest part to confront. Yeah. To this day, still the hardest mm-hmm. part to, and they can, to work the, around. I mean, the spanking is like it's it's like ingrained in the show. Like it's weird. Like if you cut it, you know that people would be like, "Where was that scene?" You know, it's it's very. There would be a lot of grandpas saying, "When I first saw the movie with my grandkids, <laughs> I remember I said, if you ever uh, talk back to me, I'm gonna spank you like that woman.'" Yeah. <laughs> Which and now I can't say that. I was that. reading, they surveyed people back then, and that was a thing. They're like, oh, yeah, definitely. Anyways. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, oh. I think, too real. I think my critique of, I don't think that uh, Catherine Grayson holds her own as Lily. I don't get, I don't think she really keeps up with everybody else. Yeah. Um, you, it's actually, I think it's obvious in the the scene where they're on the treadmill doing the Venice song. And like everybody else is like dancers and Howard Keel. And like she is like, oh God, <laughs> like trying to keep up with it. And even through I Hate Men and like all these like. Kind of seems like she's marking it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it seems like she's not, she's phoning it in. She's not really, I don't really get that venom from her. Like she could, like she really wants to fight, you know? I yeah. Don't know. I don't think she was the she wasn't MGM's first choice initially. Mm-hmm. They were looking at someone named. Deanna Durbin. Okay. Um, it sounds but good. That is. she had, she rejected the role because she was retired and she was even asked, like London's West End wanted to get her to be um, Lily, but mm-hmm. nope. Interesting. So Catherine was not the first choice, but. I know her name and I can't, I knew she was in Showboat. And I guess maybe that's why I know her name because I just saw it on a cast album somewhere. But I can't. I looked her up and I didn't really recognize much else that she was in personally. Same. I looked up. I looked up all of the, at least the three main Catherine Grayson, uh, Howard Keel, and Ann Miller, and I really didn't recognize anything aside from like Howard Keel being yeah. in a couple shows that I was familiar with. Howard Keel's everywhere. We are gonna yeah. see Howard Keel like ten more times on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Because he's oh, in Showboat yeah, and Annie Get Your Gun and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and uh, like uh, and Paint Your Wagon, like it's just it just keeps going. Um, oh man, we'll see him a lot. Um, when I design costumes for this, I think because it's established in the script that 
uh, Lily Vanessi went on to have more of a film and TV career after leaving the theater. I pictured her more as like a Catherine Hepburn, just like an unstoppable force yeah. Yeah. with so much life in her. And she's just like, all right, I got to run, you know, just like a, I don't know, just like a Catherine Which Hepburn is, type. It's kind of how she is in the stage version that we watched. Yeah. Um, she mm-hmm. really has got a lot of fight and like she's really, you know, holds her own even though she's getting mistreated. I, yeah, I just don't think that Catherine really does that. Um, I don't really Heck feel no, like she dude. hates men. <laughs> she when she threw that men, 3D mug men, at my I face, men. I didn't I wasn't afraid, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that that would have actually come at your face if we were watching it in 3D. I didn't feel hated enough. Yeah. Again. You know. Um the other big changes from the show are uh mostly done to Bill and uh Lois's relationship. Um they take away a song uh Bill Bill Calhoun sings the song Bianca towards the end of the show. Maybe that's where I, I got Bianca. I figured it out. Yeah. Well, you didn't say Bianca though. You said Blanche. Uh, but I Blanche. said Blanche. I said Blanche or Bianca or and then well, yeah. you guys corrected me. And so and, I, and then I said Lois Lane, but you were like, no, no, that can't be. Well, because he sang the I'd song. I'd rather <laughs> trade coffee for Sanka. That's the greatest line the ever written in musical theater. But he also says, "Dad, get mad a he spanka." somebody also says to someone you're the cutest piggy bank in town and i was like that's a, um, that's choice it's because <laughs> it's a double entendre for sure but it's because she pays for everything for him i get it but yeah but she's totally okay with that yeah her character is honestly the freest i think the freest woman in the show even though she's a little bit of a stereotype She's yeah. like, yeah, I'll do whatever. I I just want give me nice things, sure. Yeah. Um, she's and, well, th- which is still problematic because oh, yeah. she's free, quote unquote, but she's also shallow. Portrayed, and, yeah. yeah. So she's it's still not, not a great portrayal. She's not of supposed women. to be super bright either. Yeah. That's the thing yeah. is they didn't portray her. She's supposed to be a stupid actress. Also, yeah. like she's supposed to not know her lines. Yeah, and they didn't really touch on that. I just sort of saw she's kind of dumb it. in the, like they play her as dumb in the first scene of the movie where she's like, "What? I don't get it." <laughs> where she's like, accidentally, she's accidentally insulting Lily, but she's like, "I don't understand what I said." Like what? But yeah, it's not really that big. The other big change is that they have, uh, she makes Bill apologize to Fred, which I think is a funny moment. Where he's like, you know, I'm really sorry. I signed your name, and Fred's not listening. He's talking that about something else. Oh, I'll yeah, admit, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then later on, while he's talking to the gangsters, uh, Lois comes in to thank him for being understanding, and Fred has to kiss her to stop her from saying that it's not his. Per- he didn't sign the paper. Because <laughs> he funny. wants. No. <laughs> yeah. That that's 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 different than the show. And then both of them come in. That's a great moment. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then both they of their lovers in. come in and get angry, which I think that's a good moment. That was good. That's a little bit of physical comedy that. Yeah, that could be needed. in the show. Yeah. Super minor change, but speaking of that IOU, it was ten thousand yeah, dollars in the show, but two thousand two in the G's movie? in the movie, which is like yeah. okay, sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can make that in like two days. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah, maybe they thought that 10 Gs was too unrealistic to achieve in a weekend performances. I yeah, guess. maybe. Oh, yeah, they also, they truncated, they turned I Am Woman 
I'm ashamed women are so I am women. <laughs> they <laughs> turned I'm ashamed women are so simple. They turned it back into the monologue from Taming of the Shrew and not so much a song in the movie. She just kind of says it yeah. to him. Um, is the scene, the scene that I loved watching in the movie that I don't remember from the script is where they're talking to the mob boss on the telephone and then you just yeah. hear the gunshots. Is that in the script? I thought that was yeah, super funny. <laughs> I don't that remember really that. Funny. In the play, it's weird. I don't know if it's just the 1999 version or if that's the original script, but in the, in the version I watched, they're on the phone at talking to somebody and then they, he's like, nah, shut up. I don't have to call you Mr. Maxi or whatever. And then he realizes somehow that Mr. Maxi is the new, like, boss. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Mr. Maxi, yes, of yes, course. Yes, 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 yes. But just the line of, like, wait, he's tied up? He's tied up to a chair? That's so funny. I, I love, love that. that. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a better approach. I like both of them a lot. The way they play all of their scenes in the movie is great. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was super locked off like we talked about earlier the camera does have a fair amount of motion Um, really well maybe it's just for the dancing it might have been less locked off but i remember i remember thinking in my head like boy people better know their lines because this is all one take that's true and it's it's just the cameras hanging out maybe a little tilt or pan yeah I just didn't notice it as hard because King and I, like, I was like, man, this camera is not moving. It's staying kaput. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this, I did, I noticed that it had movement to it and there was some pushes and, and dollying and stuff here and there. Um, you know, the scene where Lois and, is it Billy? Yeah. The scene where Lois and Billy are dancing, I don't know if they were looking at the camera on purpose or if they were accidentally striking the camera because there were a lot of times where I caught their eye and I was like, are you supposed to be looking at this right now? I think they definitely were. Like, I think there's a couple other moments too where Ann Miller is full on like, "Hey, what's up, guys?" There's a yeah. lot of moments where they break the fourth wall and and look directly at the camera, which I think is just part which of which is good. That's true because he does the whole the whole like, "Man, I used to have all these women." That whole song is to camera as well. That's that true. Song. Uh, I yeah, I skipped that song in the stage version. I was like, he's just standing here. Where's my catwalk? No, they there's so many more fun things they can do with that. And yeah. to me, that's a fun song. Yeah, yeah, he's just standing. He's just sitting on this thing. Yeah, that's silly to me. It's probably yeah. my there, least there favorite. Be... It's my least favorite number in the show, and in the movie. Once one particular, I guess it's called a shot that I loved. One particular frame was when you could see. Downst- it was in the middle of where Bianca should have been. There's downstage, you can see them doing Bianca, and then upstage, and then there's a soft good in the middle. Yeah. And yeah. then upstage, you can see them like cleaning up. That is such a perspective that you can't do on stage that I was like, this is cool. Like you see the show look and the yeah. backstage set at the same time. Is it the scene where Tex comes in? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I love that element of the framing. But also, can we talk about the the production design? And A, how, I don't know if it's just really old school where they just, like in the middle, they just bring in a hemp line and it's just like they're dropping a bat into the floor and then the actors walk over it? Oh yeah, I saw yeah, that. What? <laughs> they just drop a hemp line and they didn't, That's they, you don't do that. What do you... <laughs> I mean, and then like there's like scenes where there's Fresnels off stage, and then like they just like bump their heads on him, and you could just yeah. like see them swinging. They're on ladders, and like at one point, I think there's a stagehand like 
holding the lights as if he's going to point them where they need to go like you would on a stage like a film they must not understand set. how a theater works yeah I don't or know. How, like the stage manager he's like all right bring him into scene three and then like the stagehand like looks up to the pin rail and he's like he gestures for a three that's not you don't that's not how what it works. The? also they like bring they bring in the border lights and it's like why do you bring in border lights what are they do? they're not doing regels this is i think they were just like the director didn't understand <laughs> theater and he was just sort of like i need something i need i need to stay chance doing something you know like they just had yeah. things to do that's that so realistic. funny that you say that because I was watching this with my brother, who is really familiar with lighting design and everything. And That's because so he's a when... lighting designer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. My brother, who is a lighting designer. Michael, uh... famed lighting designer. <laughs> um, when they brought the lights in and he, he started, he was like, oh, look, they're switching gel. Oh, nope, they're not. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> he was like, what is this? What's it's so happening? true. Yeah. The, it was just the lighting is weird. I think it might have to do, like you said earlier, with the 3D process. But like, yeah, there's a couple moments where I'm like, are the work lights on? Like, it is very white and bright. Yeah. <laughs> like, what's I happening? cannot tell you like how mad Walmart in there how mad my brother was getting during everything. He was like, why is this lit so bad? Why is the audience brighter than backstage? What's happening? And the house like, lights are just on. Also, the spotlights on him is like, I well, actually, yeah. this might be just a technology thing, but like the spotlight zooms in really tight to his head and then before the lights change, just goes snap and like turns off. Yeah. Yeah. I that, mean, they shouldn't do was, that. No, you could have done that back then. You could have doubted it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was just so frustrated that there was no theatrical lighting when they were on stage, and it was just so just flat. completely white, flat, boring. But it had to do with the camera and the technology at the time, so that's why. But also, uh, as Quinch taught us in the original production, it was just lights turning on, you know? Right. It was just a dude. It was right. just sort of, it wasn't, there was a design to it, but it wasn't. Lighting design, as yeah. we know it, didn't exist back then. It was just yeah. sort of turning on lights yeah. with a couple switches. As well... Um, in our version of Smooch Me Caitlin, um, or what, <laughs> Sock It To Me Katie, or whatever we're calling it, we need to snog, have Jules Fisher, Jules Fisher and Peggy Eisenhower come do our lighting. That would be cool, huh? Yeah. Pretty yeah. neat. In our movie version? Yes. Listen, that would be it? neat. Uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do our ratings of the, of the film, I think. Let's go ahead, Quinn. Okay, guys. I, once again, Zach pointed this out to me, and I am biased. I have a version of this show in my head, and if it doesn't, and I'm very much like that sort of, and it's not a good instinct to have, but if it doesn't fit with the version in my head, I don't really like it as much, because I feel versions that aren't there in the movie. As a piece of cinema, it's quite fun. And there are so many beautiful elements that Zach talked about. It's fun. It's comedic. It's classic. It's family friendly for the most part. Um, I would say as a piece of cinema, I'm going to say 8.5 louses out of 10. Honestly. Um, <laughs> but as an adaptation, once again, there are just elements that I feel were subtracted from. Um, not strong. Like, it was still a great version, but I think they made choices that supported the style. They made choices to make choices as opposed to making choices to uh, fortify the storytelling and fortify the elements of the script. Um, and for that reason, 
I'm going to give it a simple five whoopses out of ten. <laughs> Are the whoopses on stage or backstage? I promise you, mister, I won't make a whoops. <laughs> I won't do the whoopses. <laughs> I promise you, no, I swear I done the whoopses. I won't do no more whoopses, sir. I promise you that. Wow. Elizabeth. <laughs> All right. Wow. <laughs> Unlike Quinn, I am not biased because I was completely unfamiliar with the show, had no idea what I was getting into. Um, as except a piece for spanking. Of, you knew except that was coming. Except for, I knew spanking was coming somehow. That was it. That's <laughs> all the knowledge I had based on the cover. So there was that. Um, <laughs> now, I want to clarify, this is not necessarily as a piece of cinema, like on its own because I feel like I'd have to give it a different rating but this is how I enjoyed it sure because I feel like it's not like if I was just a piece of cinema I'd probably give it the same score Quinn did because it holds up it was filmed really well there's nothing wrong with it like it's got its moments I get it but for me personally as far as how much I enjoyed this movie five I it was good but am I gonna watch it again no. <laughs> uh, Ooh, and that's for fascinating. Show, for the show, it has the potential to be really funny, but I've seen things already like Noises Off and even Laughing Stock, which is like such a probably B show. But um, <laughs> if I want to watch a show within a show with a bunch of farcical things, I'm probably not going to go back to Kiss Me, Kate. Hmm. So I'm going to give that a 5 2. Nice. Zing. It's like my report card, dude. Zeesh. Z's. Dang. Just five out of ten, so an F. C's get degrees, okay? <laughs> Listen, I am an alumnus, but it was not had easily. I will tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> Madison. Um, As a piece of standalone cinema, as much as it's of its time and not my cup of tea it is still enjoyable and i think it holds up when you view it in the light of its time and so i would give it i think i'm gonna give it a seven as a as a movie because it was it was funny it was enjoy enjoyable uh yeah but as hmm, as an adaptation i'm I'm kind of going back and forth here because Quinn was mentioning differences that I didn't notice as much because I'm not familiar as familiar with the show as he is that I feel like could have really done more justice to the stage version. But then also, personally, in my humble opinion, the stage version that we watched was just like, Bleh. I didn't like mm-hmm. it at all. And so... I think I think I'm just going to have to give it a flat 5 because I think this show really depends on how it is directed regardless of the medium. Like the movie <laughs> could have been really bad, the movie could have been really good. The stage show can be really bad or it can be really good. So, mm. I think I'm going to give yeah. it a 5. Yeah. As a piece of cinema, I enjoyed it. Um it took me along with it. I'm a huge fan of like big classic MGM style movies as w- especially in terms of the dance numbers that are in this film. Uh, 
<laughs> there's a, there's think, an internal debate going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm having an inner debate because I enjoyed it and I was I would give it a high rating, but then did Quinn did point out uh, some of the changes that I think might make it not play as well. Um, honestly, no. I, I think I'm going to give it. I think I'm going to give it a seven uh, as a film. I enjoyed it. Was a great it. Movie. Yeah, it's, I enjoyed it. I thought right. it was. I thought it was a good film. Um, like I said, I like. I like this classic style show. But that said, there are moments where I get bored, and I, you know, I was like, "This is not interesting and needs to move on." Um, so yeah, I guess a seven. Um, as an adaptation, um, they change a fair amount, but personally, I didn't feel like it detracted from the show. When I was watching it, I felt like it made me cringe less, which is interesting considering that yeah. it's older than the version on stage that I watched. But we also just watched a terrible version. Maybe, maybe. that's true. Um, so I think, like Mad said, it really does depend on how it's done. Um, so as an adaptation, I think I'm going to give it like a six. Um, I don't think it's bad, and I don't think it's fantastic either. Um, I think it is what it is. Um, yeah. That's honest. And I think it immortalizes this show well. So, yeah, that's how I feel It is a good it. definitive version. If you want to know this, I mean, it's a great yeah. version of the story. If you want to know the story, watch the movie. If yeah, you got, to, It's better than Spark Notes. You that's know for I mean? sure. <laughs> the stuff that is shifted, I think, is an, is not doesn't affect the show enough that you wouldn't understand the show were you of to watch it for not. the first time. Yeah. Right. It's not like other poor uh, adaptations that we have and will discuss. It's only right. minor grievances that I can nitpick. Yeah, I think it's well within I think it's well within the show. Um mm-hmm. that's great. All right. This has been Kiss Me Kate. Um I'm Zach. I'm Mads. Damn it, I'm Quinn, Quinn. You're supposed I'm to go Quinn. Next. That's me. I'm sorry. I was every thinking about time, something else. Quinn, every time. I was thinking about something else. I'm sorry. You can uh. vanish off into the darkness now. Your little 3D <laughs> shot. That was assume. Quinn and I'm Elizabeth. Can I just say something that I didn't talk about? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. When, and I'm not supposed to do this because it was against the rules of my class, but I'll say it. I, I did it anyways. I was in the middle of designing costumes and I was listening to the, uh, one of the cast recordings and I was like, I wonder what the movie did. And you're not supposed to do yeah. this because it influences your work. And after all these research images were pulled and all these classroom discussions, I looked I looked up a YouTube video and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> because I saw the surrealist set and I saw like the tights. And I was yeah, like, super I tights. will not be designing my costumes to look like this. So I'll just include <laughs> yeah. that funny little anecdote. But how are you just... supposed to make Fosse's fanny look so good? <laughs> I'll forgive it. I will <laughs> forgive it. I think, I think overall we enjoyed this film and this the story. Um, but I think we also all agreed that there are ways to plus it and that it has the potential to not go over well if not performed and directed well. Um, also, uh, we all take away, uh, a little bit of Bob Fosse in our hearts and a little bit of his fanny in our eyes. Um, (laughs) Hey, be on the lookout coming to a major, uh, midnight movie B room tour to you. No, you're you is smooch me Kathleen, a story of wife turned shrew. And then the West end revival will be called snog me, mate. Um, (laughs) 
That was a little Australian. It's not a knife. It's not a knife. Snog me, mate. All right. Um, that version's going to be the definitive, I'll tell you Yeah, that it much. will. And we're getting Danny DeVito. As long as we all talk like this the whole time. Getting Danny DeVito <laughs> to play time. Petruchio. I kind of want to get Lord in it now that we're Lord, doing this now whole that it, now that Australia, New Zealand South Pacific, kinda. you know. Okay, she can't okay, act, okay. but she can do something. Let's you know. get Taika because I like Taika Waititi. <laughs> yes, Get please. him in there. Um, also, Vin, uh, Din Wiesel. Din Wiesel and Diesel. what? How do you even? I can't even Tanning. say what you said. Tanning, Tanning. Tanning. Chatham. <laughs> Tanning Chatham. How do you get that so wrong? And I understand. I don't know. Malapropisms. All right. Uh, this has been from stage to screen and everything in between. A musical adjacent podcast. Mads, where can you find us on social media? Alrighty, on Instagram and Facebook, you can find us at Stage to Screen Podcast. And our Twitter handle is Stage Number Two Screen Pod. You were unsure. Hey, you guys. <laughs> Pressure. I'm sorry, the Twitter one throws me <laughs> off. All right. <laughs> Again, this say- has been from Stage to Screen. I'm Zach. I'm Quinn, and when they say everything in between, they Shoot! mean it was me this time, and I just ragged on Quinn for messing oh it up every God. time. We mean it. What were you gonna say, Quinn? I said when they say everything in between, they mean it. Everything. Everything in between. In between. You gotta brush up your shakes. I can't even remember. I was gonna try and pull out one of those weird double entendres they use in that. Sup. Oh man, kicker in the Coriolanus. <laughs> the stinger. <laughs> oh man! They say something about stinger, right? I'm sorry. I'm yeah, so sorry. Where's the wasp like keeping its stingers? I don't know. Oh, All right. Jesus. Body lyrics. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. I'm Quinn. I'm Elizabeth. <laughs> And we'll see you all in the theater, hopefully soon. 